I think that's a, a question that answers itself, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, you don't have to be crazy. Uh, it's not a competition, but uh, it definitely seems to be uh, going off the rails in many places, in many situations. Uh, welcome to the local 666-269 podcast. Uh, your host, Mint Flavored Chew Man. <laughs> I definitely uh, put my foot in my mouth uh, a few times online, <clears throat> not just here. I mean, here we expect that. We, we want that. This is what I'm supposed to do is just to say uh, exactly what is in the stream of consciousness that comes out of my mouth without any sort of filter. Uh, I think that's, that's the train wreck you're looking for. Uh, and it's a lot easier to do and produce without sort of second guessing or doubting anything else that's going on. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> you carry that that energy over into sort of the precarious uh, matronly world of uh, certain social platforms, especially if you're if you're following uh, a lot of uh, empowered, independent, strong um, athletes and females and so on. Definitely, they don't take a lot of crap, and so if you have some impulse control issues as people with ADHD do. Oftentimes you might, might, uh, might leave a, a, a comment that is not great. I try to avoid that at all costs. And so I actually DM this person who I, I uh, admire, who is a tremendous athlete, uh, you know, in, in probably the elite class uh, for uh, what they do. And in this case, uh, I thought we had enough of a rapport that I, made sort of a side joke uh, in, in correlation to uh, some content they produced about a haircut. And I thought I was stating the obvious because I, I thought for sure that that would come up anyway, um, but it was weird. And, and I was duly informed. So as a dude, don't make it weird, take it back. And so I did, of course, I had to acquiesce because, you know, when someone does set boundaries and, and doesn't want to, deal with that kind of nonsense that you have to respect or honor that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I could have doubled down and said that, you know, okay, I'll take that as a yes for the answer, which I think is probably the case, but uh, that again is my own projection. And so uh, my own weirdness, it, it's a minefield. It, it really is. And it's developing because for a lot of people, it is putting themselves out there. If the social currency in the past for things like Facebook and Instagram, where the social currency is to show off that those valiances that cause FOMO, fear of missing out from others, you know, you only show like the best stuff. I mean, especially like when it comes to weightlifting, you know, we haven't yet to sort of normalize, uh, you know, shit lifting or videos of, of failed lifts and so on. I mean, it's trying to be normalized because that's part of the process. Not, not everything is going to be a PR or uh, some sort of competitive record. If Again, if you're like me and you document nearly everything uh, as a way to uh, have improvement, a lot of the stuff you're going to do is not going to be something you want to celebrate about. And I would say that the new social currency is this vulnerability of, of this coming back to people sort of taking taking the chance at appearing to be vulnerable in a way that is not trying to really garner attention. Uh, granted, people are, of course, playing crocodile tears or making up stories and stuff to, to edge out a little bit of money uh, or, you know, some sort of attention if they got some kind of issue. But generally speaking, my experience is that most people are sincere when they are having kind of a midlife crisis breakdown. And it's usually related to finance, yeah, for the most part. Even the breakups and the relationship issues, if we dig in there, we'll find that there's money issues 
as well. They seem to go hand in hand, of course. That's not great. I think that where we're at, where we're still struggling to keep up with inflation and these massive amount of uh, CEO board member salaries and so forth. And the people down at the bottom don't get any of it. And I know for boomers and conservatives and libertarians or whatever else, I know they get, get really sort of cringy and uptight about any aspect of empowering workers. But fuck, just look at the data, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the data between what people make as wages versus what we have to spend over the period of just in my lifetime. How can, how can a single person uh, in any place that's worth a damn living afford to live by themselves? It's nearly, I would say nearly impossible. And so people have to live together, roommates. You know, when you leave home, that's, it's having your own place is, is part of the juice. Uh, if you can get it. For some people, they are, they are uncomfortable and they go right into a relationship. And, and now, because of the roommate thing, uh, if, if people on the other side of the equation here, like conservatives and fundamentalists and religious evangelicals and so on, are upset that all these young people are cohabitating together, living in Sam, even though they might not be doing anything, is completely platonic, but I know uh, from my own experience, when I was a young person, I was going to move in with two girls. And at that time, uh, there was some concern from uh, the Mormon church that I was a member of that, well, you can't do that. Like, why not? I'm not, I'm not banging them. I'm not sleeping them. Like, no, I just I can't. Oh, okay. Um, so sometimes it's the writings on the wall that you think, oh, okay, maybe this is not quite for me. Um, I had similar experiences when I was uh, studying the uh, Quran. I uh, had a lot of debates with the Oman in the, uh, the temple that I was uh, studying at. Uh, again, to understand, uh, have a deeper understanding of other sort of religions and cultures. I, mean, I also studied in the university as well. So uh, it's interesting to, to see how these sort of people that have a lot of stringent rules uh, related to morality as theocrats or as uh, religious uh, organizers and having controlled or guided religion in this case uh, seem to have a lot, a lot of hang-ups about these kind of things and so they're always dead set against uh, any any sort of divergent way that's coming at it so when they get upset by the fact that we have 27 genders and so on, I would say that a lot of that has to do with the economics, not just the education or the so-called uh, straw man argument about grooming and all this other crap that they bring up. That's not the case. It, it has a lot to do with the economics. We have gutted so much out of our public education system uh, where we're just sort of teaching uh, standardized uh, you know, core classes without anything else except being directed towards uh, some kind of examination. The holistic approach uh, is missing. That's why we get a lot more people getting homeschooled and a lot more people doing charter school because they want those components that were built into our education system. We kind of got the tail end of it um, until the human, the human conservative time bomb of Ronald Reagan came in and started, you know, throwing things aside, but uh, we can pin it on Reagan, but we got to dig a little bit deeper in the woodpile there and we find Dick Cheney and of course, Donald Rumsfeld going back to their little machinations with the uh, Ford administration uh, and uh, Nixon as well. So that, that the precursors for the rot in that ship have, have been there for quite a while in my lifetime. So if we, put together a, an economic system that keeps our wages suppressed and inflation to uh, buy basic necessities such as food and shelter 
uh, and so on, <clears throat> continue to rise, it doesn't give us a lot of, of cushion to save or to invest and so on. And so you get really caught up in the rat race. If you're breaking, trying to break out on your own, unless you're willing to live in a rural area, and now that a lot of people are working uh, from home, uh, they find that to be a, a, a better sort of use of the money that they are they are earning online if it's possible um, and to live in a place that at least has good 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 enough of a connection to maintain this kind of nonsense then you probably can go into business uh, of course if you want to go and see anything you've got to drive into town so if we force our younger generation to, to live together stacked up like cordwood uh, whether it is male 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 female and I would just say it's a part of the extension of the exploration of sexuality along with information. And we have to think about how much hormone that we have displaced in our waters. Fantastic article many years ago in Wired magazine uh, about a young research scientist who was testing the water across country and it was amazing the amount of like excreted drugs and prescription drugs and uh, female hormone. I mean, it was basically changing the sex, not only in the, the fish that were exposed to it, but people living in the area. And so when I hear this, hear this sort of cisgendered, you know, complaints about, you know, the cisification of America, uh, you know, guys are more feminine now and so on. And, and I say that there's probably multiple reasons why that could be. And the fact that their they're features themselves, along with sort of the garbage, standard poverty American diet, where fast food is cheaper than sort of eating healthy. What's up with that? That's wrong. And you, you put all these confluences together. And, and not only are the attitudes changing, but you've also got someone uh, whose uh, hormone balance is slightly um, not natty or off and you know we've got some cases where people have contracted uh, what they call in the in the old school gym days we used to call it bitch tits uh, basically if you're on on juice or gear um, and you know and sometimes you would bulk up you'd get kind of fat and then you your breast tissue would sort of also swell up uh, definitely this is the thing in fight club with meatloaf and uh, yours truly, of course, have had a set of chesticles and moves for quite a long time. Now, I didn't start hormone therapy until later in life, but I would say that my uh, hormones were, were jacked, um, not in, in the swole way, the gains way, but they were off uh, as, a, as, a, as a teen and even pubescent area when I think about uh, pubescent, pubescent teen, I guess, when I was before, <laughs> before teenage years, whatever it is, uh, you get the idea. So looking back on whatever the exposure was, if it, if it opens some of the physiology to take on uh, some of the feminized features, simultaneously, uh, that hormone in the water system is also sort of butching up our women. I don't have a problem with either of those things. Honestly, I don't. What, what I have a problem is, is that people are, are sort of displacing a lot of uh, the blame or whatever it is, a suspect or suspicion on other, other factors without really looking at some of the other cores that are important here. Uh, because that wouldn't be a popular idea. Uh, that would sort of cause a lot of concern to realize that the water that we have in our public water systems is not as great as we think it is. <clears throat> but it's something worth checking. Once I did start hormone therapy, um, I recommend it for everybody, but you need to have blood work, regular blood work, of course, to understand the sort of what's going on with your um, sort of different levels of um, hormones and enzymes and things that allow the regulation of it over a period of time. And for me, when I got tested, my uh, male hormone level for testosterone was at 10, which normally should be around 
250 to 300. <laughs> um, I've probably been super low for most of my life. A lot of it has to do with the obesity, of course, and um, I'd say exposure to other uh, effective variables in the environment and uh, the cortisol. I would say that I've got uh, overstimulated cortisol pumps. Uh, I, I must be a cortisol junkie at this at this stage of my life to create situations that, that just saturate me with cortisol, stress hormone. And that's concerning because now I'm getting to the, the point in my life where if I'm trying to put in the uh, the last third here act, the third act, if I want to survive any of that, you know, stress is one of the four killers. So if you're in a, you're in a stressful situation, you're going to have to find a way to eliminate that, uh, especially as you get older. Stress is is probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, been going through this interesting book here, uh, Healing Back Pain. And this is not an endorsement, I'm just, uh, yeah, this is something I picked up. And this is uh, from, from John Sarno, who's a doctor here that uh, is basically doing the mind-body connection. And so far, what I've read is interesting, uh, this idea of TMS, which is tension myoneural syndrome, is what he's laying it off on. Even, even herniated discs and things like that, he's, he's still saying, no, it's uh, related to the tension that's uh, in the structure. So it's an interesting concept. Um, I would say that if you're doing some sort of healing journey, if you have chronic pain, and I, I, I talk to a lot of other chronic pain sufferers, because I'm at chronic pain uh, because of the, the things that have happened. It's... It's, if you know, you know, it's one of those situations. Most chronic pain sufferers uh, have a hard time expressing what they're going through to people that, that are not experiencing it. Even things like something like uh, dealing with your nerves um, in, in the sense that uh, you might be suffering from uh, diabetic-like uh, symptoms. Type two, type one, type one, really bad. Where you get the neuropathy in your extremities. You know, your fingertips are dead, your, your toes are dead, and then eventually it can build up at your leg, cause some really serious nerve damage, and, and sometimes people end up getting an amputation because they don't realize they get an injury because the the sensation is dead, whatever it may be, and uh, they might get a fissure or an infection that gets out of control. So it's not good. <laughs> it's very bad shit. And it's so gigantically on the rise because of the obesity rates, but again, within my lifetime. Um, so I, I do a lot of blood panels and I try to do a lot of uh, research along with, with also having a working relationship with my MD. Um, and that takes time because, you know, everybody's a, a bloody expert. I think younger doctors are more apt to adapt to these conversations because they understand that's sort of the nature of, of how people do things, especially in this country, uh, the nature of our health care being sort of a, not a human right, but a, a privilege bestowed upon us by the, the elite lords who decided that we have to pay for everything in a system that basically is broken. Uh, especially when it comes to medicine. Uh, it's just insane how many pigs are in the trough. Uh, in the days when I did insurance defense work, uh, you know, there was an opportunity to basically um, find out if medical billing from doctors or hospitals and stuff had been, had been padded or erroneously uh, submitted uh, for some of these federal programs. You know, they basically offer, uh, at that time, they used to offer reward of, of recovery if they could make a, a, a suit or whatever it is. And it was pretty lucrative uh, in that sense, but I mean, you had to get a lot of information and show a consistent pattern of, of basically fraud. And so the system itself is, is as crooked as a, is a broke dog's dick. I mean, it's just messed up on, on so many different levels. We knew that that became an issue 
for a lot of the things that we're dealing with. Uh, fast forward to the beginning of the pandemic to when we finally got a vaccine, you know, that was that was a, a perfect example here. And we're on May Day, so we should be talking about labor anyway. Um, a perfect example of, of management or uh, the, the owners or whatever else get to the, the front of the line and they don't even deal with patients. And so you had hospitals that had a limited range of, of vaccines. And of course, it was given to all the, the ad, administrative you know, mucky mucks and even some of their uh, country club golfing friends or whatever else. When people were complaining about the vaccine and saying, well, I don't know if it works and so forth, I said, well, if it didn't work, they would have given it to poor people first and then found out what would happen and then the elite would have taken it. But those pigs are right in the front. <laughs> they were, I mean, even those jackasses in the in Congress or whatever else, you know, the same old notorious creeps that we all loathe, they were first in line to, to get on that vaccination aspect of it. So whether you like it or not, we know it's got as the kindest have some efficacy in this case. If they can try to get us to do a, uh, another booster, I'm sure they will. Uh, this will just be the, basically the new flu shot, unfortunately. We never was a, we were never able to reach herd immunity because a third of the people here are fucking idiots, um, you know. And and unfortunately, the the a large percent of the percentage of them uh, are Leos, and that was the big beef between healthcare workers and Leos is the fact that you know most of the Leos it's a macho sort of culture, and you know well, I'm not going to wear a mask, oh, it's you know cumbersome and all of this stuff. Uh, hey, whatever, you know. If you think that makes you uh, better at your job and that's where you want to draw the line in the sand that is your choice they've got nothing to do with me uh, aside from the fact that it seems weird okay and i think most people would agree it's it's odd and it's really hard for us to uh think about uh <laughs> you know gaston flags you know when leo's fly gaston flags I, I, i'm always laughing at that because you know, don't tread on me. I'm like, dude, you are the tread. Well, who's treading on? Because somebody questioned your authority. That was a big one, right? Never, never questioned authority. Uh, okay. Ooh, if that's not uh, if that's not the slippery slope to fascism, I'm not exactly sure what else to tell you uh, on that condition. All right. So completely lost the plot, <laughs> skipping around as usual, and thinking about some of the ideas that we we're. Uh, kind of pushing through here, uh, dealing with you know, younger people and uh, mint-flavored shoes, uh, understanding that uh, the playing field has changed dramatically. Uh, you know, in the old days, like I said, I could, I could, I could tell some jokes and be charming and use my, use my lexical resource uh, to, uh, as they said in the Dead Poets Society, to woo, right? Why do we learn poetry? to woo women, but poetry is also important to woo yourself. Uh, you gotta have some of that as well, I think. So don't, don't be shy to go down to the so-called man cave and tear all that horse shit off the wall, that corporate fucking nonsense that someone told you was cool and replace it with some, some valuable shit like books and uh, knowledge and information, things that turn your man cave into a study. That's what it used to be called, was the study. And you think about great, great thinkers, uh, great writers and so forth uh, within, our, within our realms. You know, they did a lot of their best work in their study, sometimes laying down on the couch. Uh, and, and of course, I'm talking about some of the uh, counterculture uh, intellectuals that have helped to put a lot of these things into motion, especially for those of us on the other side of the equation where we are questioning things and trying to understand um, sort of what value or what do we bring to the table. If they will continue to squeeze us until, the, the, until it just fails, if they just don't know any other way, they're, they're at a certain certain they're at a certain level of the class structure that they are so insulated from our reality that it's hard for them to make sort of concrete judgments about 
the effects of policy and so forth that you know are screwing us over for a long time. We know this when they, they start talking about uh, how we should be using money. And you, you think about some of the statements that have been made, you think, well, geez, where the hell does that guy do? You know, they do a shopping. They're so fucking far off the base. You know, you realize that they're just actually disconnected. In order, in order to get to that level of power in this country, you, you have to have a certain amount of money. And having that certain amount of money is going to insulate you from uh, the struggles that most of us uh, sometimes face. And that's sort of the frustration is that we know that the, it could be easier. But people say, well, why make it easier? Was it easier for me? I'm closing the door behind me. That's the thing about uh, people that, that, whose families are immigrants, but they're anti-immigration, which is always a bit shocking to me. If you've ever driven or flown over this country, you realize that, you know, we got a lot of empty space. <laughs> Go ahead and make it an immigrant town. Why not give up, give it up, give them a space, take them in. That's, that's the nature of, of uh, Lady Liberty, right? Give us retired and poor. And, and now we're being sort of uh, picky choosy about it. And I understand why, because of the safety issues and so on. On the other hand, can we, can we come up with some sort of solution that makes it better for everybody? But there's not much profit in that. There's a lot of morality in it. There's a lot of value in doing the thing that's right, but no profit or very little profit. So why do it? That's the problem with commodification of every fucking thing around us. If, if we start putting dollar signs on everything, uh, that clouds the morality. That clouds doing the right thing. That's why people sell out. Uh, that's why people are afraid to speak up. You think about all the, the shit that's uh, gone ill and sideways, and it's very rare that we hear from, you know, somebody who's big, like a celebrity, go out on a limb for fear of, you know, losing their next box office deal or their next Grammy or whatever it may be. Again, they're also sort of insulated from the other realities that we're facing uh, on the bottom here. We, they don't know what it's probably like to work for somebody you can't fucking stand <laughs> maybe they do but you know it's not that big deal i suppose they, they they're getting a hell of a bunch of skrill of money for what they're doing if you try doing that for minimum wage or less than minimum wage in some cases it changes your attitude big time so if we've got this apprehension sometimes to do the right thing because we're afraid we're going to shit the money bed uh, we've lost we've lost a big part of, of what we need to be doing to make things better. Well, people say, Rocco, you, you know, you need you need you gotta get that money to do things. Well, yeah, you're right. But time is also important. If you can convince people in your community to band together to make something happen, it will happen. But if you're, if you're the Lone Ranger out there trying to force it, it's sometimes a great challenge. And so you have to connect. You have to network. You have to reach out to the people. That you're doing. And, and this last couple of years, the panini, the pandemic here, the pandemic panini, the shit sandwich, you know, it's done a number on a lot of people. It's done a number on me. It's done a number on my wife or ex-wife, my marriage, uh, my business. And, and I'm, st I'm still doing fine. I mean, it's, you know, I got a little bit of survivor's guilt. I've said that before because how lucky I've been uh, considering the situation for some people who have, have lost loved ones and have lost, you know, their entire fortune and so on. You can't give up. Even, even though everything is set against you, even, even the things that I'm kind of grousing about right now, talking about these, you know, politicians that are so wealthy that they don't understand you know, what it's like to kind of sweat whether or not you're going to make rent or you're going to pay for your, you know, uh, your medication. That's not the greatest country in the world. I'm sorry. That's bullshit. You know, it's bullshit. And uh, people that are propagating it know it's bullshit. 
And so they're willing to sleep at night <laughs> on their very expensive pillow in their very expensive house because, hey, it's the game, right? <sighs> it's not the game that uh, I think we should be playing if we want to move forward. And we're going to just face greater challenges moving forward. The longer we hang around here <laughs> in whatever this is, that's the nature of it. It's going to get stranger and more dramatic and more drastic and bigger and uh, badder in all ways. And I don't think we're ready for it. We're trying to catch up um, by adjusting some of our attitudes about misogyny and all these other things that are going on, but it's gonna be a challenge. Uh, but that's part of the juice, right? We're here to be challenged. Uh, again, if we're the, the spiritual body having a physical uh, experience, then how else can we sort of uh, make that worthwhile unless we challenge it a little bit? It's why going to the gym is important for some people, especially for those of us that are they're trying to make a difference in our in our livelihood and our mentality and our spirituality. Uh, it's that physical component of of reminding us that we do have a physical presence here, and we should try to treat this temple with some kind of austere respect to make it live a long time. Uh, if, my, if my body is a temple, uh, it's definitely been... <laughs> If you've ever been to one of those punk rock venues and you go to the bathroom, like CBGB's or the old John Henry's in Eugene or the Dragonfly, or the Exit, if you've ever been to, if you remember a punk rock bathroom back in the day, just covered in stickers and uh, you know, loogies and gum and just gross shit everywhere. You know, they never clean it because that's disgusting. Um, and it's amazing, like especially when it turns into like a heritage venue, all the people that have gone through there that you know slap up their their merch stickers and stuff. And it's a work of art, right? But you know, it's still the it's still the toilet. <laughs> so <laughs> I think if my body's a temple, that's probably what it's been, been like. It's been a definitely been a punk rock venue that's seen a, a lot of action it's seen a lot of different <laughs> different sort of entertainment over the years and again it's not really the years it's the mileage uh road hard put away wet more than once so that's how it's gonna roll especially when you're king size muscle <laughs> gotta really rethink that anytime somebody says that now out loud and alive, whatever else I thought, well, <laughs> I didn't do well thinking about that. I, my version of king size, of course, is like, you know, king size, your garbage food at the drive-thru, but uh, in like a king size bed, right? So the main thing is if you're a fat guy, but you got traps, you might get a pass. So keep, keep, keep lifting, whatever it may be, hopefully. Going back to uh, young people in their situation, dealing with the economics, dealing with the changes, check your check your hormones, everybody. Uh, some people don't like the concept of it. Some people think it's, I don't need to do that. What does it matter? Now that we've discovered microplastics within the human body, uh, we've known for some time that um, microplastics in humans basically is an endocrine disruptor. Your endocrine system, of course, is uh, controlling all of the, the sort of hormones and glands that uh, make things happen. Uh, these chemical, uh, chemical signals turn into electrical signals into the brain and into the body to have certain functions in your organs and so on. So when you are uh, putting some sort of stress or interrupter or disruptor in the system, then the results can be skewed. And uh, I would also say that uh, having microplastics uh, within the human body uh, is also contributing to some of the gender bending. Um, this is I'm suspicion. I don't have any valid way to test this. I'm basing this on the information that I know is correct from the research of microplastics as an endocrine disruptor. And then I'm thinking about the um, case reports of uh, young people uh, having some 
hormonal issues that were out of range related to environmental contribution, either within the water where people were excreting a lot of birth control and then people were taking it in and getting a slight effect. So that's also affecting the system. So you've got multiple points here in the, in the, in the biology, physiology aspect. Then you slap that manifold on top of the economic situation. And so now you've got, you've got young people who now have a little bit more freedom to sort of question where they're at on the scale of sexuality and gender. And some people have, have, have dug in deep very quickly um, and try to cut out some roles for themselves. Okay. Uh, it's hard for me to, to go too far away from the biology and, and also not to get too wound up about um, dealing with sort of the fallout from it. I'm lucky because I'm sitting here in my bunker. I don't get out much. It's not that much of an issue. You can talk shit about me. You can criticize me. You can insult me. Um, you can try to close down my access to information or, or dispensing information. It's not going to change who I am. And, you know, I, I'm like a lot of you. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this so that I can make the right decisions, so that I can grow and adapt to my, the best of my ability as these things change in a in rapid fashion, of course, because that's part of Moore's law, right? We just keep doubling, doubling, doubling to the point where I won't be able to catch up. My other concern is the effect of what happens to language on thinking, on processing, on conceptualizing. Teaching in China for 15 years and looking at their main language of Putonghua, which is what we call Mandarin, which would be incorrect for them, but that's what we call it, is translated to the common tongue. So essentially after the formation of the People's Republic, 1949, we had several different uh, versions of Chinese that were floating around from different factions, including traditional Chinese and some minority versions as well. So they sort of decided to settle on a singular language. And basically what they did is they took the traditional Chinese script, which are characters that have many more pieces. They're very complex sometimes, ideograms, uh, based on conceptual ideas that are influenced by uh, historical uh, connotation as well. Ancient, ancient historical connotations. Even Chinese scholars sometimes don't know why their language does this. Sometimes it takes an outsider to, to sort that out. So in the process of simplifying the language, if I compare those learners that I've worked with who only have spoken Mandarin, Putonghua, common tongue, there is a limited range in their ability to conceptualize some abstract concepts because they have no language for them. And so they have no language for them, they cannot talk about them. And so they cannot really think about them or process them. And, and I would suppose that their visual language also processes different anyway than our sort of auditory language. If I compare them to the students who still maintain some of the traditional language, like in Cantonese, especially in Hong Kong, where they still use traditional characters, then we have a sort of another level that the language, the complex language has brought to the student so they can think in, in a few steps in front of or ahead of the other person who doesn't have the language for it. The best example that I always give is the idea of perfect and standard. And I've said this repeatedly and I'll repeat it again. If we look at the transliteration, when we literally translate it from our language into their language and vice versa. And so sometimes the 
the collocations or the phrasals are, are a bit off uh, because it doesn't translate directly. But when we do transliteration, we come up with uh, some unusual anomalies. And this is, this is one that's I think is important. It's an indicator between perfect and standard. So in Putonwa, they would be in the same character. So think about that for a moment. Anybody here that has worked in the service industry or has traveled or understands the difference between perfect service and standard service, you know that's a pretty big fucking gap. There's a lot you can wedge in between what is standard, which to me is average and acceptable. So it's the bare minimum of what I expect when I pay for a service uh, or experience, a hotel, whatever it may be. It's just the bare minimum. Exactly, it should function. It's clean, doors lock, got hot water, you know, the, the TV works, that kind of stuff. Uh, not great. The, the bed sheets are like from prison, you know, that kind of shit. Talking like, you know, comfort in at best, maybe Motel 6. Perfect service, though, if I think of a, a perfect <clears throat> situation, excuse me, or perfect hotel, then that's when you get like the, you know, the, the, the 10,000 uh, thread or 3,000 thread count, you know, Egyptian cotton comforter sheets and, you know, blush plush robes and you know, I've, I've stayed at a few places that were just so bloody amazing, uh, including the uh, Japanese one in Macau. Uh, I thought the name slips my mind. It, you know, it was like, I'm like, I'm living here. I'm staying here. And then, you know, you see the price. And you're like, well, I guess I'm not staying here. <laughs> but it, was, it was practically perfect. It really was. I mean, they, they thought of just about everything to really show the nature of the hospitality. And I, I would say that my other experiences with, with other Japanese properties have been similar. Um, it's part of the culture. The service industry in China is, is still a work in progress because culturally uh, being of servitude is, this, is something to be looked down upon. All right, so you've got cultural uh, effective variables. You've got the simplification of the language, simplifying thinking. And so the reason why I threw that all into the cauldron here to burn to celebrate May Day is we are also simplifying the language in this country. We know for a fact that we've been screwing around with the language for quite a while. And we've not only weaponized some of the language through repetition and through uh, serious sort of attempts to social engineer and study things. Uh, we see different examples, of course, of what's the result of the uh, the thumb nation, the text nation, or whatever else, and we have sort of the way that people speak to each other online, which is oftentimes simplified, because you know who wants to scroll or slap all that shit in. Of course, you can do voice messages now, and we still carry that over. And uh, when you talk to people about reading, they're like, "I don't like to read." Why? Well, there's a lot of words I don't. Uh, why you just watch the movie or something? Well, yeah, sure. But you're talking about two different types of engagement. One that is passive and one that's interactive. When we read it, we tend to be more interactive. We look at the scans of the brain, we see them lighting up as they're reading because we have to put in the other components. Some people say, well, I can't read because I can't focus. Well, you have to find a, a way to to build the habit to focus. And so maybe you need to read something different that will hold your attention. I don't recommend pornography. <laughs> Just read the articles, right? Uh, if you're having trouble focusing, find something that you will be curious and excited about until you get kind of a habit of reading, at least get, get, get through a page without your mind taking off. It's kind of like meditation. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> If we simplify the language, we're heading for simple thinking. And, and we have to say that we've, we've crossed that a while back. And when I think of IQ numbers uh, for us as Gen X in the 80s, uh, you know, floating around 126, and now we're, we're somewhere down around 94. Now, granted, IQ is not everything that it, it could be, and it, it definitely marginalizes the people that don't have some experiences for the questions. Uh, you know, we might think that, that the IQ level in Central Africa, I think is, Jesus, around like 64. 
or 46 in some, some countries, it's pretty low, but they might have some sort of knowledge about the area uh, that's not on the test. And so, you know, we might be talking about people that were measured that maybe they're Bushmen or something like that. And, and so they don't understand what's happening on the exam, but if they can go out there and survive in the desert, then it's not a problem. I need a, a, a repetition buzzer for, you know, <laughs> I cannot stop myself for something. It is a habit that I've picked up somewhere along the line, and it's a habit that I want to break. It takes about 21 days, they say, to form a habit. It takes a little bit longer sometimes to break one. So one of the things that has to happen is that I have to either paraphrase or come up with another tag uh, instead of doing this. I'd say that uh, Richard Piana also had the I know bug. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. My ex-wife had to point that out to me. Uh, when I was watching his uh, Generation Iron flick, he would say, I know. I always just think of him on YouTube in the early days when we were talking, you know, hey, goddammit. <laughs> he always opened up that way. What a beast. Uh, another one. Another one bites the dust along with many. Uh, you know, the elite bodybuilding world with... Uh, the amount of egos and, and athletes that are pushing things to the limit, to the point of dying for the sport, uh, which I know people debate about our sport. I'm like, okay, fuck you prep for fucking 16 weeks and try to recompose your body, re body re recomposition. Try to put on some muscle and try to take off some fat in that period of time. If you don't think it's a sport, then you haven't been challenged by the stuff that they put themselves through, especially their bodies. Um, and so now the, the, the Deadpool is much higher than it should be. So I hope that that also sort of uh, turns around somehow. Uh, it's not a good thing because I know a lot of people in the industry over the years, even when I had my own supplement company, um, it's just sad to see. It's just not necessary. I, I think people, again, going back to my original concept here of commodification, the reason why it's, it's so important for these guys to win in place because the, the prize money has gone through the roof. And so now people are willing to gamble uh, for, you know, big, 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 big money. Whereas in the old days, you were lucky if you got like, you know, 75 bucks. In a, in a trophy that you know should have been for something else, and they, they put a bodybuilder on it. You know, that kind of funny thing. Um, anybody that remembers me from the Eugene days, you remember my, my powerlifting medals? <laughs> it looked like a looked like a, a clay plate. It looked like Flavor Flav. I kind of wish I knew where it was. To be honest with you, but you know, uh, I used to wear that out with my wrestling mask and my cape, uh, working the door for. Uh, I can't think of his name. It's Chris, who started the, the zine that ended up uh, becoming the, the unseen, which I thought was pretty pretty genius. Um, it changed hands several times until it settled down. A couple of guys that I knew that played music together, they did a good job at it. But who reads zines anymore? I, I guess I should go to Portland and try to find out if they still got zines on the shelves down there. I just every time I, I, I really, I'm, I'm serious, I sit in my car. I sit out there in the driveway in the Cadillac and thinking, all right, I can, I can go to Portland. And I just, I just don't. Even though it's still got pals is my favorite. I just don't have any desire or need to go over there. <sighs> Which is too bad because I remember when it used to be pretty awesome. And now it's like, uh, I don't want to deal with that, you know? And a lot of the uh, gentrification that's happening here downtown course is anticipating that 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 money you know migrating across the river for these some of these companies and, and uh, high-end housing high-end apartment housing they put it put putting big gamble on that um here and it probably will happen for sure i mean the, the structures are already put in it's just a matter of time our, our biggest conundrum here in the couve is going to be the expansion of the i-5 bridge which today by got stuck on there was an ambulance parked three quarters on the northbound lane crossing the river 
and uh, made it kind of dangerous to, to get on from Jansen Beach, little island there that's uh, got some shopping. And uh, I guess the ambulance broke down and the safety guy. I looked to see if there was going to be a jumper or something, but that wasn't the case. You know, the bridge is over 100 years old in some places. And you see some of the old photos of it backed up. And it's always, it's always been a choke point. And to think that they're going to try to redo it over a period of years. I mean, they had the money before, and apparently somebody here on city council got out of it. You know, the biggest fear, of course, is if we bring public transport, like the, the MAX, the train from Portland to here, is that it'll just be hobo transport, and you know, transient transport. I don't know about that. That's what that's that's what the powers be are concerned about. But it, it would be nice if there was the train. I mean, here we got to go across the bridge, go to Jansen Beach, and then catch it. You know, it's just not great. Um, but if it rolled right into downtown, people probably use it, right? Hard to say. It's going to be a mess uh, when that happens. Hopefully, I won't be here. I'll be someplace else. Um, Maybe, maybe back in Siam or Bali or some other tropical breeze place. And maybe not. Uh, you know, today I picked up a few more things for downstairs and uh, formulating how I'm going to redo all of that. So maybe I just hang out. <laughs> I got everything. You know, my, my ex-wife is right. She's like, you got everything here you need. Why do you need to go anywhere? I'm like, yeah, that was kind of my argument to you, babe. But... <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do, right? <sighs> it's it's not easy being a shitty husband. You know, when you when you do dirty on your partner, that's just it's not good. You can't you can't ever really recover from it. Um, and, and again, it's it's not being authentic. You've got to be honest, you gotta be straight up with what's going on and have those discussions. It's tough. I know it's tough. People go through their entire, you know, lifetime, you know, not never sort of fully emerging, so to speak, because they're terrified of what their partner will think. So conditional and unconditional love, you make the decision for yourself. But you got to love yourself unconditionally and be, and be willing to roll the dice or take the hits in that case. Otherwise, you might have uh, some difficulty. Uh, what else we got here? Gonna do one more clip. All right, let's do, let's do this last clip. No, we should not. Okay, we won't do that clip. Success and progress, right? People are like, you know, it doesn't sound great, and you got a lot of errors. I said, hey, it's a, having fun. I'm just having fun, trying to entertain myself, entertain my friends, and disseminate some information that I think is is valuable to uh, to my tribe, <laughs> to my people, my peeps. That that some I don't even know. When I check the the download map for this thing. I, I, I it amazes me that somebody would do that. So I I appreciate that. I really do. You you unknown stranger, letting my letting my dulcet shrill tones <laughs> my voice is described as shrill which is amazing because that, that gives you the idea of, of the acoustics that the human skull uh produces when i'm talking to you and even when my voice sort of drops a little bit because of uh, the allergy season you know it, to me it sounds deep and rich and lush and mm. then i listen to the playback and i hear the same thing you hear right now which is squeak 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's what made my money in China. You know, I could be teaching in a university or in a, in a demo someplace and they could hear me, you know, all the way down the street and they would bring me business people to come and recruit me. I'm always shocked when people can't sort of project their voice, but having that shrill tone sort of cuts through that. Uh, I, I, granted, I'm jealous because I grew up with uh, guys that, you know, smoked non-filtered pell-mell cigarettes and had a bottle of, uh, you know, an old homesteader rye underneath the, the, the radio board, and they would be half in the bag, smoking cigarettes and drinking bourbon uh, or rye whiskey, and then doing the news or whatever else. It was a different time then. You know, of course, the FCC would have lost their mind, but I, 
can promise you the different radio stations I went to, especially for good old boys, that's how you did it. You just took it easy. Told people what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. How y'all doing? There you go. Welcome to KPXX. This is old Tex here, and we're going to be uh, talking today to uh, Larry from down there at the hardware store. Apparently, we, you know, it's just that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. All right, let's let's put everything back in the box if we can. Um, I probably should start taking notes as I'm doing this. I, I realize since I didn't come here with my notes, uh, I was gonna I was gonna rant and rave about the new Batman. I just got a, a, a discussion with a couple of buddies about that, and um, I thought, well, that's 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 low hanging fruit, man. It really is. So I'm not gonna say too much about it until people talk about it. And then maybe I'll put in my my two cents along with everything else, whether you want it or not. So instead, uh, we, we've sort of touched upon a couple of, of key things that um, we might want to consider with the, the gender sort of uh, extension related to the sexuality extension here. Uh, and, and that is, let's double check the effective variables from the environment for endocrine disruptors. Uh, are a lot of these people who are considering uh, jumping around on the scale somehow, is it something that is coming within them or is it because we've sort of greased the rails a little bit uh, culturally, but also with the environmental situation of having uh, too many female hormones uh, in the waterways or water systems or is it plastics that have uh, interrupted um, the endocrine system in young people and sort of maybe turn the switches uh, in different ways so that they're more adaptable um, to whatever it could be? Is it, again, the culture shift in some aspects that we've created an economic system that has sort of forced uh, people into group situations? And so why not be uh, polyamorous if that's how you are? Uh, think about, you know, going back to the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of hippies and stuff were also very exploratory. And a lot of that also had to do with information and economics. So uh, we're just seeing sort of a repeat of it, but people have a tendency to forget, even within their own lifetime, how shit went down. And then they look at the current situation and go, oh, what's going on? Oh there is sort of a causality that does happen, whether you're jumping timelines or not, uh, some of the basic components are put in together. Uh, check, your, check your hormones. If, if you have an opportunity to do it, find out what's going on, what kind of stuff you got going on for male hormone, female hormone, growth hormone, um, any of the other sort of uh, hormones like your cortisol levels, things like that. Anything that's going to cause some sort of change in your behavior, your mood, or your physicality um, to your organs and so on. And so obviously cortisol uh, being the stress hormone, having too much of that is not good. And so that relates to a lot of other problems. And so this is me, your uh, sort of unofficial uh, traditional Chinese medicine doctor who does a lot of Western research as well and makes a comparison between the two because I think they have to be sort of merged together to be more effective. They can augment each other instead of sort of battling each other or um, presenting sort of other solutions. And so that's always about holistic sort of concepts. And so if we, we change our approach uh, for some of these things, like I know a lot of people that have been misdiagnosed in some different ways, um, especially like this thing with the back pain. I mean, the, the, the first sort of uh, deep imaging that they got. They're like, okay, we're going to have to send you off for surgery. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. Yeah, but you know, it'll help you. I'm like, well, yeah, but it might not help me either. And, and instead I've got pins in, in my, uh, you know, lower lumbar. I don't think that's what I want to do right now. So I've chosen a different path of healing that is more in tune with my values. And so is it going to be a longer process? Yeah. But is 
what I'm doing less evasive? Yeah, I think so. Less evasive than putting screws back there. Uh, I think anytime that they, you get cracked open, that's not a good idea. Uh, you're rolling the dice. I mean, I, I had the first anesthesia I ever had was the uh, colonoscopy that they gave me last year. Um, and yeah, that, that anesthesia is juicy shit. That was good stuff. It's like, okay, enjoy your nap. Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? about smoke? And then, hey, all right, Mr. Galloway, you're done. Boom. What happened? Well, apparently they probed my ass and they probed my throat. Hopefully they didn't use the same device. And if they did, I would notice anyway, um, as I was out. I mean, like a blink of loss of time. Uh, I, I've got it written down what that anesthesia is. That's some good stuff, man. Well, I can see why people are like, yeah, I'll take it down. No problem. Um, having that sort of uh, ability to, to check those kind of items, I think, are important, especially for longevity and aging. If you're younger, I don't think it's that much of an issue unless you are being a knucklehead and playing around with uh, PEDs. And so unless you are... <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't understand why any young person would do it. I think they're just they're just monkeying around or copying you know people that they like and so on. Um, you can take PEDs, but it doesn't mean that you are going to be number one. There's a lot more to it. It's only only one small piece, and it's too easy to to uh, throw that out the window when you see somebody who is yoked or jacked or has a tremendous amount of gains. Um, you can lay it off on PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, okay, PEDs. And so that, that PEDs didn't put them in the gym at 4 a.m. consistently. Uh, so you gotta have, you got to have those components as well to make it effective. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. But you need the blood work to find out. So if you have a chance, do the blood work. Uh, if you're a young person, I wouldn't be too concerned about it because your system is still developing. So don't, don't fuck it up any more than it already is from pollution, the environment, and uh, other factors that we probably are unaware of. Probably all the uh, FM uh, Wi-Fi signals or EMF uh, electromagnetic frequencies. I mean, that's a, that's a discussion for a whole other series of shows. Uh, if we look at some of the data related to the effects of EMF along with other frequencies on the human body. People say, okay, why do you know so much about all this stuff? Well, I'll tell you why. When I was in China, I used to do a lot of technical editing for doctors. And so doctors have to publish just like they do here, right? They publish studies and so forth. And so they're always trying to get it peer reviewed uh, and they want it you know, peer reviewed in English. And so I get the stuff It comes to me in Chinese and, and sort of uh, Chinglish, broken English broken English. And then I take that and between the translate transliteration and sort of the paraphrased version to come up with a, a technical uh, edit that they can submit for um, publishing as research. And so they're a lot more apt to research these other components that we're referring to, as opposed to what we do, where we sort of focus on something that we can, you know, give a $300 uh, prescription to, which is great for alleviating the symptoms, perhaps, but then you get all the symptoms that are contributed to it. And a lot of people get misdiagnosed. A lot of people get the wrong medication. There's a lot of, uh, when they sort of cross-contaminate each other, it's not great, uh, but it, it messes with the efficacy between the two drugs. When they overlap, they should have had it. That's again from caregiving. Uh, when I used to take care of uh, Frank, you know, this guy was, he was a pill hustler at different doctors. And of course, you know, one didn't know what the other hand was doing. And, you know, he was up and down all the time. I'm like, well, it's gotta be, gotta be a mixed medication. Sure enough, it was. So the, these are things that, that have to be sort of also put into the hopper as well. When we're, we're trying to come up with a way to, to last as long as we can. Since they screwed us this long, since they made us nibble on the shit sandwich for this long, I'm, I'm determined to stay around as long as I can until the last dog is hung. And I might be the dog that they're going to hang, but I'm in for the long haul. I, I didn't used to be. Uh, you know, I was like a lot of you guys 
thinking that I was going to get checked out here about 25 or 26, right? Mm, whoops, 30, boom, oh, 40. And then luckily I went to China and that, that, that changed me. The Manchurian candidate, they proved to me that the value of longevity, the long-term, the long game is important. And the only way you can play the long game is by taking care of yourself and your body, which means hydrating, self-care, um, checking your blood, check your blood panels, be inquisitive, ask, don't just take it at face value. Um, you know, don't be, don't be an asshole going on YouTube and come up with some bullshit. I mean, do the granted peer review research, do the process. If, if you want to, if you don't want to, that's fine. You can still have a conversation, but it's probably useful to understand um, what it is that you're looking at in the blood panel and see uh, how you can make changes in your life that will help you. And sometimes it's just something simple as nutrition and dietary changes. Dietary changes can make dramatic effect on what's happening in your body because that's you know what you run on, your fuel. And so if you improve the, the quality of fuel, you should improve the quality of your life. I'll leave it at that. Thanks for your time. Thanks again for your support. Uh, keep checking in. It's, it's, a, it's a work in success. And so uh, we'll try to improve. If you have any questions or comments, you know, just hit me up, DM me. Uh, I'm looking forward to addressing it and I'm looking forward to uh, meeting some people and talking to them uh, sometime soon. All right. Cheers. <laughs>